who's making really cute robots that make burnout from physicians a lot less likely? It's Dr. Mohammed Alarakia. Uh, my name is Jeff. I am the host of this podcast, MedTech Talks, um, which is under How It's Med. Um, today, our guest, as I just mentioned, is Dr. Mohammed Alarakia. How are you doing, Mohammed? Uh, other than having a ton of snow outside, I'm, I'm doing great, Jeff. Okay, but how, how much snow is it? Because Vancouver snow that that hampers everything is like at least an inch. What 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 is what is your <laughs> snow? Your definition? It's about it's about it's about four four inches. So okay. you know, and and that's not too bad here because uh, I think we're we're used to it. All right. Okay. Well, with the snow and all, has that been hampering? I guess the the sheer amount of work that you're doing. Because I mean, we've chatted before this podcast off the air. Um, have you been like? How's everything been going? Yeah, well, I think, you know, thank God for virtual care, right? Because then yeah. you can still follow up with patients uh, using virtual care. And we're going to talk about robots. Ro robots uh, don't care if it's snow or not because they're they're virtual and they can do keep keep on doing their, their work. They they show up to, to work every day. So uh, I, I think that uh, work is uh, ticking along. Um, and, you know, with the, the pandemic and, and the snow days and stuff, I think it is challenging, I think, on a personal level with, yeah. with uh, sort of managing that. But... Uh, I think we're managing uh, and we're looking at uh, at the light at the end of the tunnel and, and getting back to some semblance of normalcy. See, robots and medicine just reminds me either of Star Wars or Skynet. Um, but <laughs> I, I think you're the one to correct me on that uh, on that stark dichotomy. So bef like, let's just dive into it. What, why did you go into medicine? I think that's perhaps a good way to, you know, set the story. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think uh, it started with my grandma. Um, really, my grandmother uh, was with us, and and you know, she raised my uh, my dad and and seven other kids alone because uh, my my grandfather passed away uh, when um, you know his kids were quite young, uh, and so you know, she was a matriarch of the house. Uh, she uh, lived with us, uh, and uh, she got tremendous care from her family physician. Her family physician would come home. Uh, and look after her and was always there. And I, you know, I remember vividly when she wasn't doing so well, uh, he came home and did a home visit and, and called the ambulance and, and then accompanied her to the hospital. And so it really just, sh it showed me what, um, you know, care was about, how that relationship was so key. She trusted him, um, uh, and, you know, listened to him, even though she wouldn't, uh, sometimes listen to us on, on certain things. She, she really Fair did. Enough. Uh, appreciate his, uh, his, uh, you know, uh, advice and, you know, she would, wouldn't go to the hospital, but when he told her that she needed to go to the hospital, then she, she followed through on that. And so I really saw that the, the role of uh, a clinician in someone's care was, was clear. And, you know, I think I've tied, tied a lot of things to that, that experience, because it really is about allowing clinicians to care for patients and have that relationship. And there are a lot of things that get in the way. And so some of the work that uh, I've been doing is to get those things out of the way and, and uh, go back to, you know, where, where that relationship is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. So it seems like that uh, relationship between the patient and physician really stands out to you, but you seem to gone, you, you seem to have gone into the med tech route to some degree, I, I guess, uh, how did that begin? I, I remember off the air, you talked a little bit about having a background in comp sci, was it? Yeah, I did my undergrad in biochemistry, and then I also did a bunch of comp sci uh, courses in mathematics. And so it's always been my interest, uh, you know, when I uh, was choosing what program to do, it was either computer engineering or biochemistry, and I chose biochemistry. 
Um, and, uh, but then make sure the, the computer piece was, uh, was in there. It's always been sort of an interest, uh, of mine. And so as I, you know, went through, uh, different, uh, you know, studies and sort of got into to medical school, it was something that I, you know, kept with me and, and, uh, you know, did research in, in digital health and ensured that I sort of stayed grounded in that. I, I just, I saw the, the opportunity to make things better by, by continuing to leverage technology uh, recognizing as well, you have to do it right to make things better, that there are also um, challenges that we've introduced on clinicians because of technology. So it sort of stayed with me in terms of that interest and passion in, in doing things in the med tech space. And, um, you know, that's why I'm where I am today. So, Mohammed, I, I don't mean to date you, but uh, back when you were going through the whole med tech scene, um, what did digital health look like? Because I think that setting that scene would allow us to go through time together a lot more smoothly. Yeah, sure. So when dinosaur roamed the earth, um, uh, uh, stone tablets, you know, right? Uh, no. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. We had those, we had tablets at least, right? Um, at that at that point in time, and they made a comeback uh, pre-COVID in, into clinics. <laughs> but you know, I, it, it really was uh, you know in terms of patient health. So my you know my uh, research project in medical school was on. Uh, health information on the internet. And mm -hmm. it was just sort of uh, starting in terms of having information available for patients. And there was a lot of work on, well, is it accurate information? And, and should patients sort of rely on it? There, there wasn't a Google to go uh, and, and easily search for things um, at that point. And so, um, you know, there was, you know, a work on looking at, you know, approving websites and making sure they had appropriate information at that time. And yeah, you know, still still relevant today, mm -hmm. but very much you know, uh, email had just sort of started up at its uh, sort of infancy, and and communication electronically had just started up, um, and so it was just I think we were recognizing that there was some potential here, but I think it was more about the dangers, right? What what is like oh people are going to go online and look at information that would be, and I wouldn't in my research at that time about thirty percent of it was accurate, and so you know they're going to look at information that's not accurate and then uh, go talk to their provider and what harms can that cause? And I think we, you know, we flip things on this head right now, I hope, but there's still some mm -hmm. of those concerns, right? So some yeah. of uh, these things are maybe, uh, maybe timeless as a way to put it yeah. uh, in terms of some of the cautions uh, that are out there. Yeah, that's very, that's very do no harm of you looking at the dangers first instead of the benefits first. But what are some of the benefits that you saw of, uh, I guess, what was digital health back then? Uh, in terms of patients being more informed, et cetera. Yeah. And so in my residency, I carried on that work from a patient facing perspective and yep. uh, did a study on a patient portal, uh, actually for, for diabetes and diabetes patients were entering information online, uh, their blood glucose, uh, their, their blood pressure, the amount of exercise. Uh, and so it, it was, you know, it seemed very empowering to them. And we actually did a control group study where we looked at uh, uh, patients that didn't have access to this technology and weren't weren't doing that, and we saw benefits in terms of their uh, blood glucose control um, and satisfaction. And so it, I, I think, what you know, I saw at that time was that there was an opportunity to help uh, patients self manage their care, help clinicians get the information. So you know, when you see a patient for a diabetic visit, you want to review their sugars, you want to ask them how they're doing. Well, if you're capturing that in between visits through a portal, then you're able to actually have a more informed conversation at the time and, and understand why things may, may not be so good uh, because of challenges with, you know, getting access to food and, you know, food insecurity or other stressors in their life because they could document all of that. 
in in the in the portal. So you know that really showed me, you know, there is another side to this. That there there are opportunities here where we where we can work as more of a collaborative partnership between uh, you know clinicians and patients, where we can sort of move some of these things uh, forward in between appointments, right? When when you're not sort of connected to the patient. Uh, you sort of both lose each other a, a little bit. And then when you try to come back in a, in a short time, you're trying to fill everyone, each other in on what's happening and what your thoughts are, and you don't have enough time. So this really took that a, a dimension away and mm -hmm. you're able to, you know, at least capture information in between uh, appointments. That's really fascinating because you said to me at the beginning of this podcast that the, it's the patient-physician interaction that's really important to you. But it seems like instead of making care more impersonal by using technology, you've made it to some degree much more personal by your focus on medtech between visits or digital health visits or interactions between visits. Yeah, that's that's exactly what we need to do intentionally, though. Like, I think it can mm -hmm. become more impersonal if someone just sort of goes on to a virtual walk-in clinic, as an example. That can be challenging, right? Uh, you don't know. Uh, the provider for certain things like chronic disease management, there's a lot of catch up to do in, in terms of what's going on. And so I think we have to understand that, understand that there are some risks with that, uh, but that used appropriately. And again, this is about clinicians and patients actually co-designing this, working together on mm -hmm. moving this forward, that, you know, you can make things better. You can actually facilitate interactions. You know, for example, when patients come to my office, before they come, we send them questionnaires where they're able to fill in information and it goes right into the medical record. And so that actually makes the the appointment a lot more efficient. Um, we're able to focus on some of the important things, um, able, to, able to, to talk about and allay sort of any sort of concerns around uh, any issues. Uh, and so, you know, if you do it right, you can actually sort of um, have a better uh, relationship uh you know, despite, you know, I think some of the fears about technology actually causing the opposite. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that clinical trial seems to have been a pivotal experience for you in terms of bringing together your different areas of interest and passion. But what were some of the hardest parts or the, the, the tougher stories that you had coming out of that clinical trial? Because clinical trials aren't trivial at all to manage. Yeah, absolutely. So like, you know, I think, you know, it was a, a group and I was very fortunate to have a great group of uh, other residents with me sort of working, working on this. Uh, we were uh, sort of uh, sla slaving away. We we're sort of known as the group that would be sort of staying behind and getting, uh, you know, analyzing the data, following up with, with patients, making sure that, um, you know, uh, we had sort of people engaged. And, uh, and so it was, a, it was a lot of work. I do think in the digital health realm, we need to do more of that. Like, you know, we, I think we, th we see lots of things that can be successful, but are they actually successful? Right. So mm -hmm. a lot of talk about artificial intelligence now and how it can help with, with care. Um, and lots of things about, you know, automatically triaging patients. Does that help? Right. I think we need to sort of understand that, you know, we need to do the right studies to understand are things working or not? Not to say that we shouldn't innovate and try things and move things forward. I think we need to do that, um, but also understand what the role is because, you know, things can make care worse. And so we just need to be aware of that and we need to be proactive in, in understanding the role uh, that technology has in, in the care, the delivery of care. So you're carrying out an, I guess, an instance of health tech assessment, and that must have been uh, something that, that I guess you worked really hard to do well. 
But how did all this experience carry over into your founding? Did you found the eHealth Center of Excellence? I did. There you go. Okay. So how did your experience carry over into the founding of that organization? And like, what, what were the specific ties? Yeah, so it's a not-for-profit organization uh, that's a delivery partner uh, in in the health system that really helps uh, clinicians use technology to help uh, to support patient care. Um, you know, when I went into it, I had lots of scars from the different work that I had done before in terms of knowing what doesn't doesn't work. Knowing scars. that, yeah, I mean, I like you know, the majority of health technology um, initiatives in healthcare fail. Uh, because clinicians don't adopt the technology because patients have have trouble uh, accessing the technology. And so learning from that and, you know, between residency and starting the organization, uh, we did a, a ton of other uh, initiatives. I was participating in a lot of other initiatives, uh, you know, that were sort of national projects, provincial projects and local projects. And it uh, just let me know that you have to do things in a very careful manner. Um, so you need to really look at um, uh, understanding, um, you know, what are the implications of each of these things? How are patients and providers impacted? And then go about carefully. So, you know, founding the Health Center of Excellence has been something that we've used that philosophy to test things out, uh, do proof of concepts uh, before we sort of launch things full scale, make sure that we understand how things are going to interact with the rest of the healthcare system, what some of the unintended consequences are, what some of the benefits are. And then once we understand that, then we're able to, to scale and spread things in a way that supports, you know, clinician workflow. So that's been really uh, important. Uh, and so, you know, I've taken direct learnings from my previous, um, you know, exploits or initiatives and put it into the work that we do today. So Mohammed, it seems like that work, uh, with that clinical trial really was, I guess, trendsetting in terms of uh, doing health tech assessment for digital health and involving patients overall uh, consistently between visits. But how did this all tie in to your work with the eHealth Center of Excellence? You founded that, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. In 2014, uh, I founded the eHealth Center of Excellence. Uh, I think a after experiencing a lot more things as well um, and having sort of a lot of scars from uh, those different initiatives, yeah. you know, the majority of uh, med tech initiatives in, uh, fail uh, because there's you know, there's different challenges um, in terms of different sort of barriers to get into the healthcare space. Uh, adoption is always something that's really important. Uh, how how do clinicians adopt a technology? How do patients adopt a technology? And so you know I, I learned a lot from participating in different initiatives at the national, provincial, and local level, um, and that really led me to uh, to found the Health Center Excellence as a way to uh, understand what works in the clinical workflow. Um, but, you know, how do, how do patients and providers uh, actually interact in the healthcare system and what type of technology would be valuable uh, and establish really a, a, an approach to, to test things out before we scaled and spread. So we do, you know, proof of concepts to understand how something would work in the healthcare space. And then once successful, we scale and, and, and spread them. It's, it's about, you know, um, understanding uh, what the value is uh, of what we're trying to do and then moving forward. So, you know, we don't rush into things. Um, at the yeah. same time, we, we know there's tremendous opportunity. So, you know, we highlight the opportunities that are there and then we look to pursue things that can can help uh, that patient uh, provider uh, interaction. 
you you said the majority of health tech startups fail. Do you do you have a ballpark number? <laughs> And maybe to, just to clarify, help uh, health tech initiatives, right? Health so, tech initiatives. You know, there I, you go. Okay. Initiatives. Yeah. So projects that are done. You know, I think it's a, uh, it's a fairly high percentage. I'm, don't quote me on this, but like up to eighty percent. That's wild. Um, it, it is, and the reason, and the reason is, you know, success really is about incorporating them into regular workflow, so that people are using them routinely. That there is a high active use rate, mm-hmm. and so we know that. Um, you know, even with virtual care, like look at virtual care before the pandemic and, and, you know, was, it wasn't used, it was, it's been around for a long time, but it wasn't used to, you know, any significant degree with the pandemic, it's really, you know, taken off, but now it started to fall off again. Right. So, you know, mm-hmm. we went from like single digit percentages, like, you know, uh, 8% in the system to like 90% in the system. And now it's sort of down to like 40 per, sorry, down to 60% or so. So, you know, sig- you know, significant drops uh, in, in, in usage. Um, and so I think we really have to be careful about how we put these things forward and have the right supports uh, in the system to, to make them successful. I'm going to go a little bit off track here, then I'll come back to your work with the eHealth Center of Excellence. But I mean, you've got a perfect background in terms of work with CompSci, as well as being a clinician, and then a clinical trial that looked at how patients interact with and benefit from uh, digital health support between visits. So why not go into the startup world and why focus on building the eHealth Center of Excellence? Yeah, you know, I I think it's, uh, the startup world is very appealing. I I think that there is... um... Tremendous opportunity. Lots of great uh, startups that are m- making sort of huge gains and and really helping us move things forward. To me, I saw that the missing uh, piece was the the clinical voice in within within the healthcare system advocating for uh, the use of technology and really putting that sort of lens on. You know, we need to support the patient provider relationship and how do we do that in the right in the right way. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I got into uh, you know, leadership in within the healthcare system, uh, sort of early on uh, through um, what's called the LIN, the Local Health Integration Network, which is like a regional health authority uh, structure in Ontario, and, and then went into Ontario Health uh, as well. And uh, through that, really saw that there was a, a role for uh, clinicians to uh, communicate about what the needs were, about what the challenges were, with moving forward in the digitization of the healthcare system, because everyone wants to do it, right? Everyone talks about digitizing the healthcare system, how it's a good thing, but we, you know, we need to have the right processes and the right input in in doing that. There are more physicians and other clinicians uh, needed to be leaders in this space to really guide the implementation. So it's not a technology first implementation; it's really a clinician guided implementation of technology. And so I think that that was a gap that I saw. And as I sort of went into it, there there was an opportunity to say, you know, we're going to work with clinicians to leverage technology that makes sense. And the Health Center of Excellence does that. It's a, it's a not-for-profit organization that really w- works on the front lines with clinicians to say, how do you serve patients better? How do you help improve access to patient care? And that might be virtual visits. It might be, you know, uh, online questionnaires. It might be, you know, having a backend process simpler in terms of the documentation in the chart so that uh, they can spend more time with patients. But it's understanding that first, right? And mm-hmm. so that was what was appealing to me is really just understanding the, all the workflow challenges and then bringing different technologies that startups and uh, and other companies make to bear on that, 
on those challenges. So, uh, you know, that was an area that was, you know, very interesting to me. I did a, a master's in health information science um, after uh, finishing residency. And that just opened my eyes to, you know, how health systems are designed and how uh, clinicians work within them and what the opportunity was for technology. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you saw the the need for technology to be assessed for its merits in terms of helping or helping physicians help patients. But how much of the process of what you do uh, at the eHealth Center of Excellence is actually getting the tech into the hands of physicians? Because I understand that that in itself is a hard process as well, at least in Canada. Yeah, that's the, that is the majority of what we do. I mean, okay. we, we, we look at, you know, um, you know, we do procurements on behalf of government where we put things out to uh, look at, you know, what uh, we look at a problem first, like what is the problem that we need to solve? Um, you know, an example would be like messaging between providers. How do you support uh, communication between clinical teams? And then you would go out to the field and really look at, uh, well, what's out there? You know, what are the different things out there? And I think it's really important for us to do it in a way that startups are part of that, right? Often they are not part of these procurements because there's, uh, they're extremely complex and they don't have the, the capability to do that. So when we've done procurements, we've made sure that we included the startup community in it, uh, got their feedback um, and um, made it easy for them to participate while meeting the, the, the criteria and the requirements. And, you know, it, um, I think it's yielded great results. Um, and we've been able, therefore, to launch and do some projects, which you know we've had startups participate who've been really nimble and really able to meet the needs of of clinicians. So I think that's an area too where there's more work to be done and a greater opportunity. Startups often go, unfortunately, south of the border uh, yeah. with with what they do, and and we need more of them to uh, to help our own healthcare system. So you you mentioned a little there as to the as to why you involve startups early in the process of solving problems so that they in themselves can find a good product market fit. But in really simple words, can you identify the specific issues that make procurement so difficult in Canada, or at least in your experience? Yeah. So it's often like a you know when when procur- typical procurements are put out, you know, there's like three thousand requirements for uh, a procurement that are put out. And you think about a startup that's trying to solve a problem, you know, trying to... Is 3,000 exaggeration or is it actually 3,000? For different systems, it is 3,000. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and and those are more complex systems, but even for more simple things, like, you know, there, there there are so many requirements that technology companies have to meet, you know, and there's, there's a criteria around how much sort of financial stability, uh, the companies have. Uh, there's a, it's a, it's a long process to go through procurements could take like nine months. And if you think about a startup and the capability, like they're just trying to develop a product, they're trying to get some things out to market. They're trying to test things out and iterate, um, you know, spending nine months in a process to just try to get the foot in the door is probably is not a priority. And so, uh, you know, we have made it hard for the startup community to participate. And so there are ways around this. There's, there's something called an innovation procurement approach where you are really looking at essentially forming a partnership with the successful company to develop a product over time. You're really looking at outcomes. I want to improve wait times for patients. You're not saying I need, you know, a system that does X, Y, and Z, right? It needs to like transition data here to there. It needs to have, you know, a messaging piece built in. It needs to have, um, you know, this data piece built in. You're saying I have to solve this problem, wait times. And you put, you put that out there and say, who is the best 
to solve that? What are, what are the creative ideas that you have to actually solve that? And you know, what do you have right now that we can leverage and how do we develop that over time? And then you, um, you go through this, the procurement steps, the, the, you know, the similar steps to what you would typically do. Um, but at the end of the day, you form a partnership with the vendor where you're, you are collectively solving a problem together, uh, and where the product will evolve over, over time to meet a complex healthcare uh, problem. We, we know actually for a lot of complex problems, there's no one technology that can do it all. And so this is a, a process by which over time you will have technology or technologies that's, that solve, uh, you know, multiple problems. Mm -hmm. So, so to place this in an analogous context, I'm going to simplify a little, correct me if I'm wrong. So mm -hmm. say we'll draw the analogy between physicians offices and, uh, for example, an office that wants to order pizzas. Um, so essentially what you're doing is with procurement, you're putting the call out there uh, for different stores to make the pizza the way that you want it. And you're essentially trying to figure out which one is the best match, which you'll keep buying pizzas from for your office, correct? Yeah, that's a, I think that's a great, a great way to do it. Or you want a delivery service and, and people will deliver things in different ways, right? Someone might say, we're going to deliver with a drone. Other people will have, you know, um, uh, drivers on hire, others will have a regular service that comes. Um, and so people can propose different ways with getting the pizza, uh, to your office. And then you would pick the one that you, you know, that meets the criteria of getting it, the pizza in a timely way with the right toppings, um, you know, to, to your door. So yeah, that's exactly it. And so instead of saying, you know, we need, um, you know, this type of driver and this type of box and this type, you know, you're, you're actually just saying, I need a pizza and can you deliver it to me? Yeah, that's fair enough. So what is your favorite kind of pizza? I like the, I like sort of veg <laughs> vegetarian sort of toppings. So I would just sort of say more of a vegetarian pizza and, and I don't mind, uh, I know this is controversial, but pineapple. Uh, as well, Hawaiian pizza. So I know, I know, I know. Probably, probably, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. You know, it is a Canadian invention, actually, right? Uh, oh, as you, oh, as you, it is. Oh. <laughs> it is. Sorry. Yeah. Wow. That that that's kind of weird. Hawaiian pizza, Canadian. Anyway, um, so you you do also some other really interesting things at the eHealth uh, Center of Excellence, such as making bots that I mentioned previously um, at the intro to this episode. So tell me more about that work and how that came about. Yeah, it really came about because we, you know, clinicians were burning out. Uh, and, you know, we know that, that even before the pandemic, it, it was an epidemic, right? Where clinicians were uh, burning out, people were leaving practice, retiring early, um, having significant issues with, you know, maintaining their practices. And so, you know, we had to find a way to help out. Um, and when you look at uh, what clinicians sort of go through, there's a lot of administrative processes, you know, 40% of time or more is taken up on just administrative work. Um, and looking at other industries, they've been able to figure out ways to do that, a ways to automate certain things, to reduce the administrative burden. And so that really spurred me to say, yeah, we can do that in healthcare too. Like there, there are a lot of repetitive routine processes that we do that are not value add patient care. So can we do something to so sort this out? And, you know, there's a lot going on about uh, automation, artificial intelligence um, in the environment. And so really understanding that there are some opportunities there, other industries, um, you know, insurance, aviation have used automation to help with the process. When you, when you go to check in for a flight, you know, that a lot of that's automation software that's actually figuring it out and, and processing um, that. And, you know, in the, the aviation industry has found out how to 
communicate between disparate systems and disparate airlines and, and things. And so, you know, in, in healthcare, we have an opportunity to leverage the same technology. So, you know, mm -hmm. we did same similar with, um, you know, what I said before is we did a proof of concept to really look at can uh, bots. So these are software programs, repetitive routine uh, uh, that do repetitive routine processes. Uh, they're not walking, talking bots, but uh, programs uh, that, you know, software programs that work 24 seven, they don't take coffee breaks. They don't complain unless you want them to. Um, and so uh, we, we deployed uh, some bots to really help with a few different things like sharing of information uh, between systems and improving data so that uh, electronic medical records can use the data for uh, reminding patients or tracking patients. Uh, and we saw that there was tremendous value uh, in that, mm -hmm. you know, it, it supported clinicians in their workflow. Uh, they took on some of the burden that clinicians had. Um, and so we started with that and, and now the, we have a bot family really that's, uh, that's doing a number of tasks for clinicians. Okay. But, but here's a real kicker. Tell us about the names of those bots yeah, and their functions. Yeah. So this is the, this is the fun part. Yeah. So, you know, why not have fun when you're, when you're doing, doing this work. And so our bot family includes Cody. Uh, Cody is a bot that goes into the medical record and codes diagnoses. And that's important because then you can automate functions and flag patients who have heart failure, depression, chronic kidney disease. Um, and so really important foundational uh, piece in terms of, uh, you know, getting the data that you need. And, you know, in primary care, there, there are, you don't have coders who actually standardize data. So the bots actually are able to, to do that. Uh, we have Bernie, the bot. Uh, Bernie burns out. So uh, clinicians, physicians don't, uh, don't have to. Um, and so, uh, Bernie does things like in COVID, Bernie has been documenting COVID vaccines. Uh, it saved one clinic, 87 hours of time, uh, wow. documenting COVID vaccines. Um, and so really, you know, these are the tasks that we should get automation, uh, to do. And so Bernie's, you know, doing a lot of other things, uh, and burning out like, uh, preventative care, looking at test follow-up. So, you know, if you order a lab test, have you completed the lab test, which is a college requirement? Uh, and so Bernie is is uh, looking to follow uh, that up. And then we have Sharon. Um, and Sharon shares data amongst uh, disparate information systems. And so Sharon is uh, working on uh, uh, sharing data between primary care and home care uh, as a start. Um, and so, uh, you know, uh, that's a big problem as we look at sort of moving forward. Uh, patients have to repeat their story multiple times. And so if we can use these bots to you know, essentially transfer information between one system and another, like swivel chair tasks. If, if someone is re-entering information into another information system, bots can very easily, you know, copy and paste that information, put in the right spot. So as a physician, you have the information there at your fingertips in your system and you're able to add to it. And when you add to it, you know, in this case, the home care system would get updated with that information. Yeah. So Sharon has been you know, um, you know, developed to, to do, uh, to do that. So that's our family so far. And we're, we're really looking at, uh, you know, other opportunities to expand the family. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we grow quite fond of these bots, the, the clinicians who we saved, uh, time, the 87 hours, uh, they, they were, they wanted to hug the bots, um, <laughs> because they, they, they were so impactful. So, I mean, it seems like these tools are developed because you've identified specific needs as a physician and within the physician community, how involved are physicians in the procurement process or were they before? Yeah, absolutely. So they, ha and this is the, this is the going back to why I got into this space is that because is because physicians weren't involved, uh, in these decisions mm -hmm. and they weren't involved in making, uh, the calls in terms of what would be valuable or not. So physicians, uh, clinicians, patients are 
part of the procurement process. They're part of the definition of the problem, what outcomes we want, and then the evaluation piece, and then the ongoing iteration, right? None of these things are, is perfect. You need to um, have clinicians uh, review these things and make sure that they're working, they're actually working for them. So we have clinical advisors uh, that uh, at the Health Center of Excellence that really dig into these things, uh, evaluate these things and make sure they're, they're working. That voice is absolutely key through the whole process, that co-design. Uh, is absolutely uh, important because, you know, you, we don't want technology to, to cause more burnout. And that's actually, uh, you know, part of the challenge is that electronic medical records are fantastic. You know, clinicians would never go back to paper, but they do add more administrative tasks. Um, and so, uh, you know, these bots actually are able to sort of take those tasks off uh, a clinician's pl a plate because clinicians have defined where the problems are and, and where they need help. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's really interesting. Um, I, I guess if you were to sell a clinician on the idea of becoming involved in these processes, like how would you pitch it to them? Say that they say that I'm in an elevator with you. Give me a 30 second pitch as to why I should get involved. Yeah. So I, I just like what what keeps you up at night or what what is keeping you longer at clinic? You know, it, you know, if I would have a discussion about, you know, what time did you end your day yesterday? What time did you get home to, uh, you know, your family? And it really is, we can help with that, right? You know, for, we can take, you know, 30% of the work that you're doing, we can take off your plate. Does that sound good? Um, and I think most people would agree that uh, that would be good. We, we, we can help you um, have more time to look after your patients. We can help you get home earlier so that you can be with your family. Um, that's really what it's about. Um, you know, you don't need to do the repetitive routine tasks because automation can can do it. We're all used to, um, you know, these virtual assistants on our phones um, and we're all used to getting suggestions for what next to purchase or what and maybe what next topping to get on your pizza, maybe not pineapple for you. Um, but, but uh, you know, we're used to it in our other lives. So why not in why not in healthcare? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, I mean, in your point of view, what's the future of procurement in Canada? I mean, from my limited knowledge, I know in the States that they have different, uh, I guess, healthcare authorities, they have different companies which administer a certain region. But I mean, we've got a similar thing here, except it's, you know, federally or provincially administered. So what's the future in terms of uh, collaboration or different processes that you can see that perhaps I or the listeners can't? Yeah. So I think, you know, we need to define what are the key problems we need to solve in healthcare, that we need to have these open procurement processes where uh, startups and scale-ups can participate to solve these problems. And we need to make it the norm that we do these innovation procurements. Like that has to be the way that we move forward so that we include the startup community in, in these procurements. And then we need to hold ourselves accountable for the, the outcomes, right? We, we need to make things better and, and have we made things better. Uh, and I'm, you know, what I've seen is that if we take this more innovative approach, then we have a higher chance of, of succeeding because we're uh, evolving things over time. So as our healthcare system looks to integrate care, uh, you know, get providers together, um, you know, solve the problems coming out of the, during the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic, we need to take this more innovative approach with involving the, you know, the startup community uh, within this. And so what I, what I hope people will see is um, more procurements, where uh, companies can participate that are smaller, where there is a clear path towards scale and spread, right? It's, you know, it's good to do a proof of concept, but then you need to be able to scale 
and spread. And so we need to set that as a standard. And I think we need to, to, to state that, that that is the standard that we are going to, um, put things out there, uh, engage, uh, our, our startups within that. And then if they are successful, we're going to support their scale and spread. So, I mean, I think that's a wonderful vision in terms of being able to work with Canadian grown startups and patients to make sure that uh, alongside clinicians, we're able to identify the best possible solutions to the, to the needs at hand. But what pushback do you see coming and perhaps how can we mitigate these headwinds? Yeah. So, you know, I think that there is, you know, it's hard to change sort of a culture, uh, where we've been very risk averse, um, to, uh, trying things out to engaging, you know, in, in public private partnerships. Uh, and you know, what I think is that we've seen during the pandemic though, that we can do it, that we've had, you know, crises in healthcare that we need to solve and we've solved them and we've done it like in some cases, like overnight in some yeah. cases in a matter of just weeks, right. Versus, you know, a nine month sort of procurement, um, which at the end of the day, like you, you, you exclude a lot of companies that should, should participate in it. So, you know, healthcare is in a crisis in many different, um, areas. If you think about wait times, if you think about mental health and addictions, if you think about frail elderly and, and people sort of trying to stay in the home, um, we need to say, you know, we need to solve these crises the same way that we have, um, you know, uh, worked on sort of managing the COVID uh, pandemic. And if we can say that, that we have the same amount of commitment to solving these things, um, then I think, you know, uh, I, I think we'll be in a good state to move forward in, in, in some of the more nimble ways. And, you know, they need to be transparent. They're going to, they need to be fair, but I think we need, we need a burning platform to actually move forward and do this because I, I, we, you know, we can struggle along and do the same things that we've, we've done. Uh, but you know, we're going to be spending more money. We're going to be not getting as good outcomes. Uh, and we're, and, and, you know, providers and patients won't have the time with, with each other because we're managing all these other, uh, other things. So, uh, I think it behooves us to really look at us in, in a, continue in the crisis state, not, not for the sake of sort of, uh, burning people out, but that we, we do have big healthcare problems that we need to solve and we need to do it in, in the near term. Mm -hmm. And just one last question here. Um, a lot of the tech that you've worked on is, is generally applicable to physicians offices, managing burnout, managing these tasks that are repetitive and take quite a bit of time. But I mean, a lot of med tech that is known is, uh, known for med devices, for example, as well as, uh, perhaps pharmaceuticals. So where does this fit into this idea of involving startups in the procurement process? Does that blend over very well, or is your model only applicable for generalized tools that can be used by many physicians? No, I think, I think it's very similar. Um, you know, there's a lot of work on remote monitoring that happened during the pandemic where devices were sort of given to patients and they could sort of monitor their symptoms for COVID or heart failure. And, and so I think there's a similar opportunity, uh, for those things. Um, I think, um, you know, it's within them, the, we're really looking at a system of care mm -hmm. and that system of care needs, you know, software to help share data and communicate. It needs hardware to capture data. I think the, the benefit is, you know, a lot of hardware is already out there in terms of smartphones that we can sort of leverage that people are, are, have, but the devices are so, are so important because we are, we're able to then sort of capture validated uh, in a, in a, uh, data and, and then leverage that data, you know, to help with self self-management for patients to, um, you know, really look at 
decreasing the number of patients that go to hospital and and more complex, higher cost settings. Uh, you know, devices are are really the key to that. Mm -hmm. Um, so usually at the end of the podcast, we give our uh, guests a chance to plug their pluggables. So, Mohammed, do you know what time it is? It's time to get to work. Yes, it's also time for uh, time time for you to plug your pluggables. So, what do you want to plug? Yeah, well, I mean, I I, I think. You know, I think that patient-provider relationship is so key, and I, yeah. I think that you know we need to move forward in that. That's what the eHealth Center of Excellence uh, is doing, um, and so I'd encourage people to visit our website eHealthCE.ca at uh, eHealthCE on on Twitter and other social media. Um, you know, follow us. Really, you know, we'd like to engage in a conversation with you, clinician, patient, system stakeholder. Uh, we're here to to support transformation healthcare system. This is a time like no other for us to do that, but it's going to be through engagement with people that we that we do that. So, you know, I, you know, this has been fantastic to talk about these things, but really it's the start of the conversation. As I said, we need to get to work and do and do more things because there's so much more that we can do to make the patient and the, the clinician experience better. You, you really know how to sell a call to action. Um, all right. And you can find How It's Med at at How It's Med on all the socials, as well as howitsmed.com. Thank you. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of How It's Med. If you liked what you heard, please download and rate our episodes on whatever platform you listen on. Also, if you have any feedback on what you just heard, we'd love to hear it wherever you listen to or on our website, howitsmed.com. That way we can create better content that suits you. Until next time. Bye-bye.